Uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody uh, that, that gave money and, and brought food after uh, Etta's dad died. We appreciate that. We forgot to thank you all for that last week. Uh, do want to thank you for it this week. That was very sweet of all of you. It was a tremendous help, uh, and we appreciate it very much. This morning, we are looking at John chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, seeing God's glory. Uh, the, the next uh, passage in our the, the Truth to Believe series as we work through John, and uh, that is our focus this morning. Our memory verse, there are blanks this week, so they're easy blanks, you should be fine with it, but we're beginning to take words away. Let's say it together. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. John 15, 5 and 8. Nope, I had no idea when we chose that verse that I would be preaching on God's glory this Sunday. But look how things work out. That is what I'm preaching on today. Uh, the Seeing God's glory. Now, uh, I told you last week that uh, Jesus was focused. One of the, the points of the passage that, that I pulled out was that Jesus was focused. And his focus was on pointing people to God, even though he was God. This week, we see that again, that when Jesus is glorified... God is glorified. Uh, they, they mutually point to each other is one way to look at that. Look at that. Now, this week is, is something that I don't do very often in sermons. This is, this is a word study. We're going to look at glory today um, and, and some of the implications of that word. We're going to start way back in the Old Testament. We're going to move through the New Testament. It's, it's, again, it's, it's not something that I do often, but occasionally, Scripture, as we move through it, presents the opportunity for us to drill down a bit. And if, if we were going verse by verse or, or section by section every week through John, then we would have just taken a pause this week and drilled down on glory, and then we would moved on, had moved on with the, the passage week to week. But since we are, are doing about a chapter a week, and you should be reading that during the week with our, our, uh, our reading guide, You're, you know where we are. We'll, we'll move from chapter 13 to, I think, next week is chapter 14, and, and we'll bypass some of this, at least as far as the sermon goes, in order to allow us to drill down on this idea of the glory of God. I think it's important that we do that. Uh, it's important primarily, I think, just for us to understand God's glory as much as we can. What it's talking about when Scripture says something about the glory of God or Jesus is glorified or, or how we even glorify God as believers. Our big idea this morning that you will need to get understand uh, out of this passage, at least part of it, is because Jesus lived and died to glorify God... We must choose to follow him, living and dying to glorify God. That's one 
thing that you're going to get out of it this morning. That's going to be kind of where we're going. The other half of what you get is just, as I said, an understanding of what it means for God to have glory, God to be glory, to God, for God to be glorified. So we're going to start back in the Old Testament. We're going to begin there and see what glory meant in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, there are 25 different words for glory. They, they are used in different ways, in different situations, obviously. Uh, they, <coughs> excuse me, they use, um, they translate to words like difficult. Yeah, that's one of the words for glory in the Old Testament is difficult. Excuse me, I've got to do that again. I start talking and I have to cough again. Difficult. Weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. Weight. Okay, now we're kind of getting the idea. Remember that Hebrew especially is a picturesque language. Uh, the word is meant to bring a picture to your mind. Uh, even their letters are that way. The, the second letter of the alphabet, in, in the Hebrew alphabet, is bait. It's our letter B, bait. It, it is shaped like a, a, a square, sort of, with no bottom. A line here and then a line there. There we go. Bait. It actually means house. And when you write it, it looks like a house. You get kind of the idea then of, of some of the, the, the picture that Hebrew is supposed to create in your mind. So, glory, you get a picture of weight, of heaviness. It's something, it's, it's something people carry. Uh, another word in the Old Testament for glory is worthiness, it can mean reputation honor. So now you get to hear some of the words that are closer to our meaning. The beginning, weight, heaviness, difficult, those are the picture part of the language. Uh, the concrete part, reputation, honor, that's more abstract. It's not as easy to, to picture. But that's what it talks about in the Old Testament when it talks about glory. It uses glory to describe any number of things in the Old Testament. Uh, for example, men of substance or wealth or position are defined or described as having glory. For example, Joseph in Egypt was defined as, uh, described as having glory. The temple, once it was built, the tabernacle, uh, when it was uh, built, uh, fabricated, I guess, was a place, it's, the Bible says, of fame and glory. Aaron's garments, his priestly garments that, that were so meticulously designed based on God's instructions were said to uh, be for glory and for beauty. A crown in the Old Testament is described as something for glory. Glory is even uh, sarcastically mentioned by Michael, David's wife, who was Saul's daughter. 
She sarcastically said of David that he had gloried himself when he danced before the uh, ark as it came into the city of David. She, he had been undignified is what she was saying. Oh, you've really gloried yourself now, haven't you? Incidentally, his response, this is 2 Samuel chapter 6, his response to her was, I can be even more undignified than that when I'm praising God. You just wait and see what happens when I really get to praising him. So sarcastically, she could refer to glory. Glory can refer to uh, the, the peoples and kingdoms of a particular king. This king's glory was all of this land he owned, all of these peoples he ruled over, this vast kingdom that was his. That was his glory. Glory can refer to nature. For example, the, the glory of Lebanon was its cedar trees where Solomon went to, to get the, uh, the lumber for the temple when he built it. When referring to God, glory can mean brightness. It, it is described as, his glory is described as a devouring fire. It refers to his glorious majesty. Uh, it, 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 it's defined as splendor or worth or a reputation. Or in an, uh, another phrase, it's his intrinsic worth and majestic splendor. That's glory in the Old Testament. We get all these images, we get all these pictures, so that when we read that Jesus is glorified and God is glorified in Jesus, and in glorifying Jesus, God then is glorified, we get some imagery of what that means. Crowns, brightness, weight, reputation, honor. Well, the New Testament has some words for glory. Actually, it has two. One of them is used only once. The rest of the time that it talks of glory, it uses the Greek word doxa, which we used growing up in Southern Baptist churches all the time when we sang the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Yeah, we still sing it. Now, I don't know how y'all did it, but when I grew up at State Boulevard Baptist Church, amen. Yeah, we didn't do the amen uh, growing up. We, we, we jettisoned the amen. Um, maybe because I think what immediately followed was the offertory prayer and then the offering. We just knew at State Boulevard Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi, when we got to that point, everybody stood up, we sang the doxology, and the next thing was the offering. We just sang the doxology every week before the offering. Well, it means glory. Uh, it, it means honor. Actually, the Greek word, doxa, actually means opinion or reputation. Kind of makes sense. The Greeks themselves defined it as approval by the multitudes. Opinion, reputation. And that one word in Greek, doxa, is used to translate all 25 words that are used in Hebrew when they 
translated the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. So every time one of these 25 words was used in Hebrew, they translated it into Greek with doxa, that same word every time. So clearly that one word has multiple facets of meaning, even though we use it one way. Again, in translating it from Old Testament, we see reputation or fame. The Greeks assumed that, that one opinion among a bunch of people, or I should say multiple individual opinions, would come together to form one big opinion, which would be fame or reputation. That was the way they grouped the words. So fame was just a whole bunch of individual opinions uh, that, were, that matched, combined into one culture-wide opinion. Brightness is another way that doxa is used in the New Testament to describe the, the various aspects in the Old Testament. For example, Solomon in all his glory... Uh, the, the brightness of, of the king. Uh, glory is, the, is used to describe a woman's hair in uh, the letter to the Corinthians. Kingdoms are described as glorious. And an evangelist's converts are described as his glory. All of these are echoes of that Old Testament usage, that, that one word is used in all these situations when in Hebrew they would have used a different word. But the main usage of the word glory in the New Testament is not for people and kingdoms and, and hair and Solomon or brightness. It is mainly used as the revelation of God in Christ. Glory. When we see Jesus, it's the glory of God is seen in the miracles. When Jesus performed a miracle, the glory of God is seen. The activity of God is seen. His, his brightness, his honor, his majesty, his weight, his heaviness is seen when Jesus performs a miracle. The, the brightest most visible form of glory seen was at Jesus' transfiguration, a cloud, which was another symbol of glory in the Old Testament. The cloud came and enveloped them all, and Moses stood next to him. Moses, who had seen God's glory, we'll talk about in just a minute. Elijah stood there as well, and they saw Jesus as much as they could for who he was. What does that mean? They saw his glory. They finally saw him not hidden, not, not veiled by flesh, by the incarnation, by his humanity. But they suddenly saw him for who he was, the divine. And what they saw was glory. And their response probably was glory. Because they had just seen Jesus. James calls Jesus the Lord of glory. 
Now, that prepositions are a funny thing. That could either mean that he is the Lord with a whole bunch of glory in him, the Lord of glory, or he is the Lord who is in charge of or over all glory. Both of those are true statements. He encapsulates and encompasses all that glory has within it, but he is also chief and Lord over anything that might think it also has glory. In describing the glory of Jesus in the New Testament, it moves away from a subjective opinion. Remember I said that in Greek, glory or fame would be the accumulation of all the individual opinions that agree they combine to make someone famous, to give them glory. That is subjective because if all the individual opinions change, then that person no longer has glory. May have a reputation, but we may call it infamous instead of famous. At this point with Christ, the glory loses its, sub its subjectiveness. No longer does it matter the opinion, but becomes an objective fact that God's glory is in Jesus. That God reflects, but not just reflects as if he's merely a mirror, but he contains the very glory of God. And when we look at Christ, we see God's glory. Well, what does God's glory look like? We're on the glory of God, Pat. Go back a slide, please. There we go. The glory of God. So if that's what we see when we see Jesus, the glory of God, what does that look like? Well, it's hard to describe what the glory of God look like, looks like because nothing compares to the glory of God. We can't find things, uh, we can't find analogies. Remember I've told you many, 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 many times, analogies always break down because they are merely analogous to something. They are not the something. That's why we don't do analogies about the Trinity. And yesterday, was it yesterday? two days ago, St. Patrick's Day, and if you're, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you saw the video about bad Trinitarian analogies. Come on, Patrick. You know, you, 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 it's, it's dangerous. Well, it, it all breaks down when we try to compare anything we see, anything we know, to God's glory. And yet, the Bible gives us images constantly of that glory. Nothing compares to the glory of God. The Old Testament will talk about wealth and political might and armies and status and nationality being the glory of people or the glory of kingdoms or the glory of uh, uh, other nations. But none of those things compared to the type of glory, to the sort of glory that God has. Jeremiah said of Israel... That when they turned from God, they had given up their glory. They no longer had glory because their glory was found in God. God glory belongs to God. Remember James said that Jesus, the Lord of glory, Jesus and the, the, the Son and the Father are one. That makes the Father the Lord of glory as well. Glory is His it belongs to him. 
So when you turn, when Israel turned from him to something else, they gave up the glory because he is the glory of Israel. The, the height of the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah at the time, the height of the northern kingdom's influence, wealth, military might was during the reign of Omri, whose son was Ahab. That was the pinnacle. God was nowhere to be found in that. They thought their glory was in their wealth, their, their might, their, their military prowess, the, the political uh, machinations that had been going on and the, the relationships that they had developed and built. But in fact, no, their glory had left them long before. The moment they left God, they had lost their glory because glory belongs to God and He was their glory. And I hinted at it earlier, but glory is intrinsically God's. That means it is who He is. It is a part of Him. Matthew 6.13 says, For yours is the glory, Jesus saying to God. Psalm 29.2 says, There is glory in the name of God, glory in Yahweh. When God is looked upon, Psalm 63, 2 says, power and glory are seen. They're very careful not to try to describe God in any uh, physical way, at least not, uh, we would call it an anthropomorphism, uh, some way that he looks human. They would describe him in more abstract ideas like power and glory. Moses, after the, the first tablets had been broken, after he had come down, Exodus 19, he, uh, God writes on the tablets, gives them all the laws. He'd been up there too long. Moses comes down. They're, they're having a party to this golden calf because they said, well, Moses is dead. We need a God. Aaron, here, make us a God. Aaron says, okay, give me your gold. We'll do it. They did it. Moses comes down, Aaron, what happened? Well, you know these people. You know how wayward they are. They said, give me a God. So I said, well, look, give me your gold. I threw it in a fire and, and out popped a calf. Oh, I don't know how it happened. Well, <laughs> we know what happened next. Uh, Moses broke the tablets. He ground up the calf, made them all drink it. Ground up the calf, put it in water, said, drink it. He goes back up has a conversation with God, Exodus 33, says, Lord, if, if you don't go before us, don't, don't send us. If, if you're not in it, we don't want to be in it either. And he says, so that I know you're going with us, let me see you now. And God says, you, boy, you can't see me. You crazy? I will blow your head off if you saw me. But I tell you what, I'll put you on a rock, and when I pass by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And then with my hand, I'll cover up the cleft so that all you get to see is the back of me going away from you. You get just to get to see the back of my glory. And that's what he saw. And for the rest of his life, as far as we know, he glowed from it. His hair had turned white. 
He was affected by the glory of God. He just saw a glimpse, a hymn, a thread, but what he saw nearly blew his head off. He couldn't handle the full force of God's glory. Nobody could, but he saw a bit. Psalm 113.4 says that God's glory is above the nations and the heavens. All right, above the nations, sure, but above the heavens too. Meaning there's nothing higher than the glory of God. But nothing higher, it's, it's way up here. But then Isaiah 6.3 says the whole earth is full of his glory. So not only is it up here, but it fills up down here too. It's everywhere. We see it everywhere we look. And it is an essential quality of God's character. Like I said, it is intrinsic to who God is. God's glory is part of him. You take away a man's wealth, his status, his position. You take away his glory, and he's still a man. If you take away God's glory, if it could happen, he's no longer God. His glory is a part of who he is. Which is one reason that his glory is not to be infringed upon. He does not share his glory with anybody or with anything. It's why there are so many prohibitions against idolatry. It's why anything that takes the place of God, whether we have crafted a true wooden idol and bow down to it or not, is immaterial. If it takes the place of God in our lives, if we are giving glory to something more than we are giving glory to God, it is an idol. We have misplaced the glory. His glory is being infringed upon, and he does not share his glory. God intends for all of creation, especially man, to give him glory. Jesus says, as he is marching into, uh, triumphantly entering, uh, entering into Jerusalem, just a chapter or two before where we are in John, when the, 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 some of the folks of Israel are saying, hey, stop these people from crying out, his response is, if they don't cry out, the very rocks will, because something is going to give God glory. If we stop, creation will take up the song, because God will receive the glory he is due. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.31, He who boasts must boast in the Lord. That is where we place our worship and, our, and God's glory. We can't attribute God's glory to anything else. We can't give the glory that's due Him to, anything, to anyone else. Isaiah 42.8 God says, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to graven images. If I'm not mistaken, that's the chapter where Isaiah goes on and mocks the people for going out and cutting down a tree and chopping up some of the wood for the fire 
in, in the hearth in the house to, to cook with and some of the wood to, to uh, build it, their house with and some of the wood to build a chair with and some of the wood to make an idol out of. The same dadgum tree and you're worshiping part of it and, and, and making oatmeal over the, other, the rest of it. Why would you give glory to something that is so basic and utilitarian as a piece of wood just because you happen to be able to carve a little face into it? My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to graven images. And we, are, we, we, we have to be careful as 21st century believers because we will say things like, well, I don't carve images out of wood. You're right, but we sure do carve them out of money. And we sure do carve them out of metal. And we sure do carve them out of circuitry. We create the idols. We also carve idols out of our families. Out of our trips. Out of our free time. We give glory to things that don't deserve the glory. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to graven images. And then finally, God's glory, or rather God, self-reveals His character and His being through His glory. We see who He is. We see what He's like. We see His characteristics. We see our dim understanding of God through his glory. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Moses, as I said, requested to see God's glory. Lord, I want to see your glory. God's answer was not just that he was going to hide his face and make sure he only saw a little bit, but he, the scripture says... In response to seeing God's glory, God made his goodness pass before him and proclaimed his name. God, I want to see your glory, okay? You'll see my goodness and I'll say my name. Those are my glory. You will see my glory if you see my goodness. You will know my glory when you hear my name. wasn't a thing, wasn't an image, which is one of the reasons that Scripture is so clear, that God is so clear, do not create an image of me. Do not make an image of me because that does not capture who I am. You want to know who I am? See my glory. See my goodness. Hear my name. Isaiah, in places, uses the phrase, the glory of his majesty. Again, it's almost circular reasoning there. His majesty is glory, is, is glory. His glory is his majesty. We're just going around in circles. Yeah, that's exactly right. His glory is who he is. It is higher than the heavens, high above nations, higher than the heavens. It is his majesty. In Numbers, God's glory is revealed in the ten plagues and the other signs in Egypt. God's glory is in frogs coming out of the river. 
plagues coming on livestock. The angel of death passing through through Egypt. That is God's glory. That is God's glory because they have chosen another. They have misplaced the glory. Theologians put it this way. One said, the glory of God is thus, in effect, the term used to express what we can comprehend originally by sight of the presence of God on earth. It is used to express what we can comprehend of the presence of God on earth. John Calvin said, the glory of God is when we know what he is. One other said, the glory is the divinity manifest. What do those three things have in common? Originally by sight, or the presence of God on earth, Calvin, when we know what he is, the, the third theologian, Bengal was his name, divinity manifest. What does that bring us to? Jesus. The glory that we see in Jesus. But one more, one more time. God's glory is evident in all of creation. Though we uh, miss that. Romans 1 tells us that we see the creation. And we see the glory of creation. But instead of worshiping the creator. We worship the created. God's glory is the fire on top of Mount Sinai that the people saw that Moses was nearly consumed by. We see God's glory as the cloud by day and the fire by night that led them through the wilderness for 40 years. We see that God's glory is the cloud on the temple and the tabernacle, the cloud that surrounded Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. When the Israelites grumbled about their leaders, God's glory appeared in a cloud and took them to the woodshed. The glory of God is the light that appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. The glory of God is the scriptures we read. A light shining in a dark place, Peter writes in his second letter. The glory of God is Jesus. Divinity made manifest. God in the flesh. God on earth. So what does the glory of Jesus look like? Next slide, please, Pat. Thank you. Well, humans were intended to represent God's glory. That was our purpose in the garden, to represent God's glory. But we failed, and we fail. Uh, I don't represent God's glory the way I should. So... Jesus comes along. Jesus glorified God, glorifies God completely. The scripture tells us in all he was, he said, and he did, he glorified God completely. Now, the Old Testament expected this of the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to be glorious. Again, Isaiah said, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed 
and all flesh shall see it together. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. What was the issue? He knew that we can't see God's glory. We can look at creation and get an idea. We can hear the stories of, Isaiah's hearing the stories in the 700s, of the cloud, the pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke, the fire on Mount Sinai. He has an idea. He sees it. He was in the temple worship in Isaiah 6. And he saw the Lord. He saw God's glory. He understands. But he knows that the mass of humanity cannot see God's glory fully. But one day, he says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh shall see it, all flesh shall see it together. Jesus. The glory of Christ existed before the incarnation in flesh, though. The glory of God did not just come upon Jesus. He had it to begin with because Christ was eternally preexistent. He has always carried the glory of God because He is God. He and the Father are one. He had His own glory before He was obedient as the incarnate Son... This was his personal glory inherent to the second person of the Trinity. So Jesus contains his own glory before he comes to earth, has his own glory before he comes to earth. It is intrinsic in him as well. Yet, when he came to earth, we see a glory as well. John 1.14, the Word became flesh. This was our memory verse last quarter. The Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory. His own glory that we saw, but we also saw His glorifying God. Because He came, because He was obedient, as the sent one from the Father, He carried the glory of God with Him. And we saw it. But we didn't see it like it could have been. His glory was largely veiled in the incarnation. The flesh that was Jesus, the humanity of Christ, hid much of the glory. Isaiah 53, there was no beauty that we should desire him. What he should have been was spectacular looking. He should have, by his very presence, drawn people to him. We should have looked at him and gone, Oh my goodness, this is the Son of God. And yet, they chose, the Trinity chose, to veil that behind flesh. So that we only saw glimpses, flashes of his glory in the miracles. In the transfiguration. So that we could see his glory finally, ultimately, and fully in his death. His death was his crowning earthly glory. Now, how backwards is that? 
There's never a king, never a leader, never a ruler that says, my glory will be the day I die. You want to see me fully in my glory as a king? Well, that's when he has all the power, all the wealth, all the position, controls all the nations, makes all the decisions. And Jesus says, you want to see me in my fullness of glory? Wait until the day I die. And that gets us to our passage this morning. Longest introduction in the history of sermons. John chapter 12, sorry, chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. When he had left, meaning Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of God is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. You see why I hung out on glory this week? How many times is the word glory used or some version of it? One, two, three, four, five times in two verses. Something about the glory of God that God wants us to hear from his scripture this morning. We've gone, now, uh, gone from now the hour has come in, verses, in verse 23 of chapter 12. The Greeks come and say we would see Jesus. He says now the hour has come. To, to at this point saying now the Son of Man is glorified. At this moment, now the Son of Man has glorified. What has changed? What's happened that we've gone from the hour to the moment? Well, Judas has left to betray him. Judas has gone to make the deal. This is sometime in the evening. By the early, early morning, he will be in the kangaroo court of the Sanhedrin. By the early morning, he will be passed back and forth between Herod and uh, uh, Pilate. He'll be beaten, he'll be flogged, he'll be mocked in worship, and they'll give him glory. And by the afternoon, he'll be dead on a cross. By the evening, in a tomb. Now, the hour has come. Pretty much at this point, all the events of the next few hours are condensed in Jesus' mind. At this point, I'm dead. He's got a few hours to teach. Chapters 13 through 19 will be these these final teaching moments, the prayer for, for the disciples, the prayer for us. But he knows at this point, he's a dead man. And he says, now God's glory is revealed in me. I will be glorified. Now. Every bit of glory we've talked about, 
the 25 Old Testament words, the, the, the two, really one New Testament word, all of the imagery, all of, of the, the lofty language that we talk about when we speak of the glory of God, all of it condenses, melts, coalesces in this one moment when Jesus is obedient to death on the cross. That is God's glory. And it is so counterintuitive. It's why so many cannot accept it. It's why Islam in particular will say Jesus was a prophet, but there's no way he could have been the son of God because of the awful death on a cross. And yet that was, when, that was the moment when God's glory was most vividly and obviously revealed. To show us the connectedness and the oneness of the Trinity, Jesus states that he is glorified because God is glorified. He says, if God is glorified in him, first the Son of Man is glorified, God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And will glorify him at once. It's this layering, this overlapping of glory here. It's a, it's a supernova of glory. You know what a, a supernova is, right? A supernova is when a star begins to die. And it, it pulls all of its parts inward. And as it dies, it gets denser and denser. And the gravitational pull gets stronger and stronger. And it pulls its, all, all, the, all the dust, all the gas in until it gets so dense and so hot that it cannot contain the energy of that anymore. And it explodes. And that is the sort of glory we see when Jesus faces the cross and takes it. This glory overlaps and overlaps and overlaps until it is an explosion of who God is on the cross. Dying for my sin, dying for your sin, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, choosing the cross for you and me. Glory is shown. God's greatness is shown, not just when he creates, not just when he heals, not just when he provides, but when he sends his Son to die on the cross. Glory is shown like we have never seen before and will never see it again. Jesus is going to be crucified in just a few hours. And as glorious as the resurrection and his second coming will be, he is fully glorified. He doesn't need the resurrection to glorify himself. He will be glorified in the resurrection. But he is fully glorified in his death. That's what this passage is talking about. It's not looking, most likely, it's not looking toward the resurrection. It's looking toward the death on the cross. Why? Because the death was planned. 
From the beginning of time, this death was planned. This crucifixion was planned. The lamb crucified from the foundations of the world. It has always been the plan. And he knew it. And the death was unearned. It was not what he deserved. He was sinless. And yet he is taking the path, the road to the cross. His death was substitutionary. He did it for somebody else. It wasn't his death to have to die. He chose to do it for you and for me. And his death was radically obedient. His humanity did not want it. Go back to chapter 12. What am I going to do? What are my options here? Don't make me do this, God. But I'm not going to pray that. I'm going to be willing. In the garden, praying. In the other three gospels. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, Lord, but yours. Not my glory, God, but yours. He could have just as easily said. He was glorified fully in death. Because death doesn't make sense for the Son of God. Resurrection, ascension, being seated at the right hand of the Father, sure, that all makes sense. That's glory that we can understand, but glory in death. Yes, because in His death, through His death, He reveals His glory. He shows God's glory, he receives God's glory, and he is glorified by all those who trust him. And when we come to Jesus, we find God's glory in man. We glorify God most when we are radically obedient. The radical obedience of death on the cross was God, was Jesus showing God's glory. We show God's glory when we too are radically obedient, and we are most radically obedient when we lay down our lives and submit them to Jesus. That's when we are radically obedient. That's when we show God's glory. God's glory is seen in the new creation of our lives, made by Christ. When we lay those lives down, just as creation declares his glory, as the Psalms say, his new creation declares his glory even more. Yes, we can point to the mountains and say, isn't God glorious? And people might say, yeah. But we can point to our new lives in Christ and say, isn't God glorious? And those same people say, I knew you before and I know you now. And yeah. We receive God's glory when we receive the gift of the glorified Savior. That's when we get glory. And on the last day, we will be glorified with Christ. We, we talk about the three stages of our uh, salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. 
The day we are saved, we are justified. We are made just as if we had not sinned. We are declared innocent. We are sanctified throughout our lives as we become more like Jesus, as Scripture corrects and reproves and the Holy Spirit draws us to all truth. We are sanctified. But on that day we die, we are glorified. We share in the glory that Christ had the day he died. We are changed. We receive fully our salvation. There is no charge against us that will stand. The devil will stand and say, but he did this, but he did that, but he did that. And Jesus will say, it is my blood on him. Your accusations cannot stand. We will be fully saved. We will have a a perfected spiritual nature when we are glorified. There will be no more sin. We will never sin again. We will have fullness of knowledge of Christ. We will know as we are known. We won't know everything. We will spend an eternity not knowing everything. But we will know Jesus as we are known. Right now we see through a glass darkly. But then we will know as we are known. We will have perfected bodies. No more aches, pains. I may still be fat. I don't know. I don't know if skinny's perfected or not. But I know that I won't hurt anymore. No more bile stones. No more COVID. Creation, all of creation, which was ruined by humanity's sin, will be glorified. We and everything around us will be glorified. And all of that glory, my glorification, my full salvation, my perfected spiritual nature, my fullness of knowledge of Christ, my perfected body and the creation that I look around and see perfected in his presence will all point to God because we will get to the throne room and we will say this is impressive we love this but you know what we'll take that crown off of our head and we'll put it at his feet because even in heaven the glory will still belong to him it won't be ours glory to God we will be glorified but more importantly He will be glorified in us and by us. And we will spend eternity singing praises. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. This morning, you have to make the decision as to whether or not you are going to glorify God. Living in sin, living apart from him, brings him no glory. As I said earlier, you most glorify God the day you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. You begin that life of sanctification, of glorifying God daily in your body, to one day be glorified. But it begins at justification. It begins when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. Creation suffers. We suffer because of our sin. And God does not get the glory that he deserves right now from his creation because of sin. And because of that, we can't spend eternity with him because of our sin. And the wages of sin is death, separation from God. My watch thinks I'm exercising again. But the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal glory. 
eternal salvation, forgiveness for our sin. And we receive that when we trust in the glorified Savior on the cross. Christ Jesus our Lord. But we know it doesn't end there. John, when he wrote the gospel, knew it didn't end there. He knew that when Jesus said his moment of glorification had come, he was talking about the cross. But he knew that he also had the resurrection to look forward to. Substitutionary death, our sin is taken, we are forgiven. But we know that because three days later he rose. He rose from the grave. We saw him in his glory. We saw him raised. We saw him come back. Don't touch me, I still haven't gone to the Father yet. He goes and he ascends to the Father. Stephen, when he's being stoned, he sees him seated at the the right hand of God in his glory. John sees the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world, seated next to the Father, sees him in his glory. Jesus is now in his glory and we get to taste of that when we accept Christ. So what's your next step this morning? What do you need to do? Maybe you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, accept salvation through faith. Maybe you need to be baptized, conform your life to Christ, follow His will, submit to His plan. Maybe you need to join our church this morning. We'd love for you to share your decision with us. Connection card, online, share it with somebody. Chelsea will be down here to my left. Justin will be to my right. Two deacons, Kirk and Lee, will be in the back. I will be hiding so you can't come see me because I don't want you to get sick. Maybe you just want somebody to pray with you, to pray for you. Maybe you just want to come to these steps, come to this stage, make an altar out of this area and lift some things up to the Lord. Maybe this morning... You just need to give God the glory back to him that you've been giving to something else. We're going to stand, we're going to sing. As soon as I get done praying, we'll start singing. Father, we give you the glory and the honor. Lord, forgive us when we have given your glory to something else. When we have replaced you with an idol. Maybe not a carved wooden image. We're much more subtle, much craftier than that. But Lord, we've given glory to something else. Something that should not have taken your place on a Sunday morning, but did. Something that should not have taken your place at the office on Tuesday, but did. Something that should not have taken your place in the dark hours on a Friday night, but did. God, forgive us for not giving you the glory that you deserve. May our lives reflect your glory. And Lord, may you be glorified this morning as someone here trusts Jesus as their Savior. God, may you be glorified this morning as one of your children, as many of your children, 
give you back the glory you deserve by taking it from the thing they've given it to and putting you back in your place in their lives. God, we pray that you will move this morning as we sing, as we have heard your word. I pray as we have seen your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's stand, let's sing, let's glorify the Lord this morning.